agenda. Speaker Nancy Pelosi moving forward with a House vote on that bipartisan infrastructure bill, but delaying a vote on the social spending plan amid pushback from moderate Democrats. However, progressives are threatening to sink Pelosi's plan, demanding both bills be moved together. Sources confirming to NBC News that President Biden is making calls to top to Democratic holdouts. The president looking for a political victory after big election wins for Republicans and as his approval rating sinks. Let's get right to Kristen Welker, who leads us off tonight from Washington. Tonight, renewed chaos on Capitol Hill. The Democratic divide over President Biden's multi-trillion dollar spending plans again on full display. Welcome to my world. Uh, this is the Democratic Party. We are not a lockstep party. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing she will hold a vote on the trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill tonight. Scrapping plans to also vote on the $1.75 trillion social and climate spending plan, which progressives had demanded. You have the votes right now for the infrastructure bill. We can't wait too much later for the legislation. I do believe that there are a large number of members of the Progressive Caucus who will vote for the bill. Early this morning, President Biden making yet another sales pitch for his agenda. I'm asking every House member, member of the House of Representatives, to vote yes on both these bills right now. But some moderates have been waiting for the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office to analyze the social and climate plan's impact on the economy, inflation, and the true cost. It comes as President Biden is desperately looking for a political win. His approval rating plummeting and Republicans winning stunning election victories this week. Wednesday, the president told us Democrats have delayed action for too long. I think we should have should have passed before Election Day. Progressives saying Republican election victories show voters want them to go big. But moderates, including key Democratic holdout Joe Manchin, saying the results show Americans don't want to rush into more massive spending. This is not a center left or a left country. We are a center, if anything, a little center right country. And it's being that's being shown. And we ought to be able to recognize that. NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Kristen Welker joins us now. Kristen, where does this leave that social and climate plan that progressives really wanted? It's a great question, Ellison. Well, look, the future of that larger plan is now uncertain. After Speaker Pelosi postponed the vote, Democrats say they're aiming to take action on it by Thanksgiving. Ellison. All right, Kristen Welker, thank you for that. And with so much at stake for President Biden and the Democrats, I want to bring in NBC News Capitol Hill reporter Ali Vitali. Ali, this has been a back and forth day, to say the least. What is going to happen next? And from what you know, who's in the driver's seat? Well, Democrats are in the driver's seat, Ellison, but if you'll allow me the metaphor, there are several factions trying to grab the wheel right now, and it's not clear whether they're heading for a crash on this that will stall out the process, or if they're going to be willing to park the car, get out, and all get on board for both parts of this infrastructure package that is the president's signature legislation. What the plan is right now, and this is the plan until it isn't, is for the House to move forward on a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that has already passed the Senate, and then to move forward on a procedural vote on the rule regarding the larger social spending package. In order to vote on the actual social spending package, they have to first clear that procedural hurdle, and then that's when they expect to come back after a week of recess 
and actually pass the social spending package at some point before Thanksgiving. But there are progressives who we're talking to who are not on board. Right now, our count is dozens. And so what one progressive staffer said to me describing the moment that we're in, this is the chaos phase because it's not clear who's on board and if the plan that the speaker has laid out is actually going to stick tonight. This process has dragged on for months of all people. You know that very well. Walk yeah. us through the major sticking points at this point in time and tell us, is this about the content of the bills or is this process? For some moderates at this point, it's about the content of the bills, the policies that are in it. For other parts of the moderate caucus who are holding this up right now, they just want to see more on what the financial impact is going to be. They would like to wait on something called a Congressional Budget Office score, which will then tell them what the impact is. But we already have a sense of what the price tag is, as well as what the analysis going out 10 years is going to look like. So theoretically, they should have enough information to vote, although at this point, some moderates say, they don't. For progressives, this is about the process. They have long argued that both of these bills, both the bipartisan bill as well as the larger social spending package, have to be voted on together. If they were to move forward with this plan tonight, we would really see that leverage fall apart from progressives, which is in large part why they're holding the line like this. All right, so much to watch. Thank you for breaking that down for us, Allie. We appreciate it. Now to the controversy consuming the sports world. Packers star Aaron Rodgers out with COVID, now admitting he is not vaccinated. The quarterback defending his decision, insisting he's not an anti-vaxxer and never lied about his status. Also revealing he's been taking the controversial drug ivermectin to treat his symptoms. NBC News Now correspondent Von Hilliard has more. Tonight, Packers star Aaron Rodgers breaking his silence, taking aim at mounting criticisms that he lied about his vaccination status. I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now, so before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture uh, casket, I think I'd like to set the record straight. The quarterback sidelined this week after testing positive for COVID, put under 10-day quarantine, a measure usually reserved for the unvaccinated. Before the start of the season, Rogers was asked if he had gotten the shot. Are you vaccinated and what's your stance on, on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of conversation around it, around the league. You know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. After reports of his mandatory quarantine broke, those comments sparking outrage across the sports world. Aaron Rodgers is a liar. Period. He lied through his teeth with a smirk on his face. The three-time MVP defending that answer today in a self-described diatribe on the Pat McAfee show. Had there been a follow-up to my statement that I've been immunized, I would have responded uh, with this. I would have said, look, um, I'm not, uh, you know, some sort of anti-vax flat earther. Um, I am somebody who's a critical thinker. Rogers claiming he has an allergy to an ingredient in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and that he was concerned about possible side effects related to the Johnson & Johnson shots, instead opting for at-home treatments. The specific protocol, I'm just going to keep between my doctor, my doctors and myself, but, um, but it was a way to stimulate my immune system to create uh, a defense against, uh, against COVID. But that holistic treatment, not enough for the NFL to consider Rodgers vaccinated. 
he did appeal the decision to the league. I think they thought I was a quack. Under league mandates, unvaccinated players are subject to strict protocols, including daily tests, travel restrictions, and masks inside team facilities, a rule Rogers admits he's broken. Needing to wear a mask uh, at a podium when every person in the room is vaccinated and wearing a mask makes no sense to me. I have followed every single protocol to a T, minus that one I just mentioned, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Rodgers has yet to face disciplinary action for bucking league protocol. The NFL saying in a statement Wednesday that individual teams are responsible for enforcing the rules, adding the league is aware of the current situation in Green Bay and will be reviewing the matter with the Packers. Rodgers saying he's feeling fine with few symptoms. I've been taking monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin C and DHEQ, and I feel pretty incredible. Trials have been launched using ivermectin to treat COVID, but the FDA and CDC have issued a health alert warning against its use. The drug is also used to treat animals for parasites. And Von Hilliard joins us now from Phoenix. Von, the Packers are moving full steam ahead without their star quarterback this weekend, but beyond this weekend, could Rodgers face disciplinary action over this? That is the question here, Allison. The NFL is continuing continuing to investigate the Aaron Rodgers situation. The NFL has not suspended any players because of uh, COVID protocols over the last year and a half. But this is a different situation. You're talking about a Green Bay Packers that are now 7-1. and one. Essentially, Aaron Rodgers would have violated COVID protocols over these last eight weeks. Players and coaches have been fined in the tens of thousands of dollars. And last season, there were two teams that were both hit with fines of several hundred thousand dollars. This is going to be tough here for the Packers because we're looking at potentially not just this weekend, but for potentially weeks beyond in which Aaron Rodgers could be out. Jordan Love will be making his first ever start in Aaron Rodgers' place this weekend. Allison? All right, Vaughn, thank you. Turning next to a potential breakthrough in the fight against COVID-19, Pfizer now saying its experimental pill can cut the risk of hospitalizations or deaths in high-risk adults by nearly 90%. But at the same time, Outrage is growing over the Biden administration's sweeping vaccine mandate for private employers. Gabe Gutierrez has the latest. Tonight, Pfizer says its new antiviral pill used with the low-dose HIV drug and taken within three days of COVID symptoms reduced the risk of hospitalization or death by 89% in high-risk adults. We save millions and millions of lives. Pfizer CEO says the results, which have not been peer-reviewed yet, will be submitted to the FDA for emergency use authorization, likely before Thanksgiving. The very high efficacy comes, even to us, as a surprise. Meanwhile, as COVID cases soar in Europe, Britain has become the first country to approve another antiviral pill developed by Merck. An FDA advisory panel will consider that treatment for the U.S. later this month. Still, public health experts stress that vaccines remain the best protection against the virus. Seven-year-old Theodore just got his. What is this going to mean for you? It it means that I can can just, like, have more sleepovers and play dates, and and I can feel more better going to big, giant parties. But not everyone's celebrating after the Biden administration announced companies with 100 or more employees would have to ensure they're vaccinated by January 4th or tested weekly. At least 27 states now say they filed or plan to join lawsuits challenging the rule. 
Uh, the federal government can't just unilaterally impose medical policy under the guise of workplace regulation. And Gabe Gutierrez joins us now from Pfizer's headquarters in New York. Gabe, what's the latest timetable for when an anti-COVID pill might actually be available to the public? Well, and you just heard Pfizer CEO say that the company will submit its data to the FDA before Thanksgiving. Then it could be several weeks before an FDA advisory panel actually looks at it. So most likely it'll be early next year before Pfizer's COVID pill becomes available. Merck's pill, however, that will be considered by the FDA advisory panel later this month. It could be a few weeks after that before it becomes available to the public. Allison? Gabe Gutierrez, thanks for that. With me now, NBC News senior medical correspondent, Dr. John Torres. Dr. Torres, good to have you with us tonight. Uh, given where we are in the pandemic, you look at the numbers, decreasing cases, the Delta variant is said to be on the wane. Are these mandates still something that's worth doing? And Ellison, I think the thing you have to look at is the fact that we've been here before. This is not our first rodeo when it comes to this virus and what this virus can do. And if you remember back in June time frame, we were talking, you know, a little over 10,000 cases a day. We were talking about light at the end of the tunnel. And then the Delta variant popped up and we went into this fourth wave. Well, there could be another variant behind that that could push us into a fifth wave. And so getting this under control is what we need to do to control both the variants and the pandemic itself. And one way to do that is by making these mandates making more people get vaccinated. And these mandates only work if they're universal mandates. Otherwise, people can move from one job to the other. And so I know people, there are certain people that do not like to be told what to do. But at the same time, from a public health perspective, getting people vaccinated at a very high level, and we've seen these mandates work in certain situations, is the key to getting this under control, Ellison. Let's talk about Pfizer's antiviral COVID pill, 89% effective in high-risk cases. What would you say to someone who has thus far refused to be vaccinated and might look at that pill as an option they've been waiting for? What should they know? And I would say a couple of things. Number one, realize this pill is just one tool we have in our toolbox. And this pill and the Merck pill are used for treatment. Once people already come down with COVID and it can help prevent COVID from getting worse, but isn't 100% guaranteed that's going to happen. Merck pill, 50% preventing hospitalizations and deaths. This Pfizer pill, 89% of preventing those deaths. But at the same time, you can still have those long-term complications. You need to take it early on in the disease process or it won't work. Those are treatments. The prevention part is what we're aiming for and that's the vaccine. But you need all of these to work in order to make sure that people are staying healthy, we're getting the pandemic under control, and we can get back to that more normal life. All right, Dr. John Torres, thank you for that. A major headline on the economy tonight, the jobs report showing an impressive 531,000 new hires last month. Unemployment falling to a new pandemic low. Stephanie Rule breaks down the numbers. For the Biden administration, a much-needed headline. America's getting back to work. Our economy is starting to work for more Americans. More than half a million jobs added in October. Sectors seeing the biggest gains? Leisure and hospitality, business services, and manufacturing. And wages are up nearly 5% from a year ago when the economy was largely shut down. We're seeing a nice re-acceleration in the recovery because the Delta slowdown is now behind us as cases have peaked. 
Not to mention schools opening up, giving parents more opportunity to return to the workforce. And economists say the pace could continue in the months ahead, as retailers and shipping companies look to hire nearly one million seasonal and full-time workers, offering incentives to lure in new workers. For small business owners, staying competitive during the holiday hiring rush is a challenge. Demand is through the roof, and the issue is really just keeping up with it at this time. Tom Marilakis and his brother own Scopo's Hospitality Group. Their restaurant business is booming. They expect revenue will triple this holiday season, but they need to hire as many as 15 workers now. How hard is that for you? It's definitely a challenge, and we're trying to keep up. We've enhanced our benefits. We've had health insurance. We've recently added dental and vision. A 401k plan is launching next month, so we're really doing our best to, to stay competitive. Nearly 50% of small businesses report having job openings they can't fill. Long term, this is good for our industry. It forces us to figure out creative ways to really make the business profitable so it can grow, but also treat our, our team better. A win for workers and businesses and another step forward in the economic recovery. And Stephanie Rule joins us now in studio. If it's business, there is no one else I want to ask questions about. What does this job report tell you in terms of where we are going? Is this the start of a pandemic recovery? If it's a, we're in a really good place. Remember, this over 500,000 jobs created in October. This is when we've got 200 million people vaccinated. COVID numbers are down. Kids are back in in-person school, which means many parents now have the ability to go back and go to work. And expanded unemployment benefits did expire. And one thing that you should know, where were those jobs created? The most amount was in leisure and hospitality, right? Restaurants, travel. We're out there again. For the majority of COVID, we were sitting in our houses and we spent our disposable income, click, 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 shopping online. That led to all of these supply chain issues, the shipping delays, right? Three years ago, you didn't have four Amazon boxes outside your front door. There's a decent chance you do right now. Well, now we're starting to see that shift. We're not necessarily spending our money just on goods. We're spending it on services. All of this is a positive for the economy. Tack on the fact that we're headed into the holiday season where we're expecting record sales consumer demand is up and we're about to be having a million jobs in the retail sector as well as shipping and transportation those are positives it's a good time for workers so you mentioned those supply chain issues how does that factor in here is that the uh-oh at the end of this i mean could that negatively impact the progress that we're seeing without a doubt and that's one of the things that's sort of confusing for the american people because we have a lot of positive economic news wages are up but if inflation goes up quicker than wages do well, then that kind of makes the wage growth worth nothing. We are facing inflation right now. Whether you're talking gas prices, grocery store, or at a car lot, we are still facing these problems. It's going to take some time. So it's easy for me to be like, listen, Allison, it's short term. Don't worry about it. But tonight when my mom goes to the grocery store, when she gets home, she's going to call me and tell me about that bill. On Thanksgiving, it's what people are going to be talking about. This is a messaging problem for Democrats right now. And for everyday Americans, it's concerning. So if you do have extra disposable income. You don't want to be spending it, spending it, because things are expensive, but they should work themselves out over time. We're in an economic recovery after being in a really dark period. All right, we'll take it. Thank you, Stephanie. We appreciate it. Thank you. We turn now to the emotional and personal remembrance of Secretary Colin Powell. Mourners gathering at the National Cathedral in Washington today to pay their respects to the trailblazer. Andrea Mitchell has more. 
at Washington's National Cathedral an emotional celebration of the life of Colin Powell, soldier, statesman, counselor to presidents. President Biden and former Presidents Obama and Bush all there to pay their respects. Bill Clinton not well enough to travel. But the speakers were close friends and family, not heads of state. He was genuinely interested in everyone he met. He loved a hot dog vendor, a bank teller, a janitor, and a student as much as any world leader. His virtues were Homeric, honesty, dignity, loyalty, and an unshakable commitment to his calling and word. His love of music ranged from high hymns to Bob Marley, and a passion for ABBA. Even performing for Sweden's top diplomat. Colin immediately went down on one knee and sang the entire Mamma Mia to a very amused foreign minister from Sweden. Above all, he was a family man, his wife of nearly 60 years, Alma, and his children and grandchildren. The last night of his life, I walked in to see him. He could not see or speak to me. So I took his hand, that hand that signed report cards, tossed baseballs, and fixed old cars, that hand that signed treaties and war orders, saluted service members. Colin Powell was a great lion with a big heart. We will miss him terribly. Andrea joins us now from Washington, D.C. Andrea, you covered Colin Powell since the Reagan White House, and you were actually friends with him for nearly 40 years. What struck you the most about today? What was wonderful about today, Ellison, was as sad as people are as I am, it was a tribute. It was a, it was a real celebration of his life, and it captured the man, the family man, devoted husband of 59 years, the father, the grandfather, the guy who loved ABBA and actually broke into song, broke into Mamma Mia for the Swedish foreign minister once in Sweden, and also loved the high hymns, which there certainly were in the National Cathedral, but just all of that. Uh, Marley, Bob Marley, his Jamaican roots, uh, his family roots from Jamaica, his parents, of course, immigrants. So it was all of that. And the tributes from his his son, Michael, but also his friend of 40 years, uh, Richard Armitage, who was his great friend and deputy secretary of state. So it was really that Colin Powell, not, you know, not the statesman, not the diplomat, but the soldier uh, who loved the military and was, you know, the tributes were paid by his family and his friends, even though there was the president of the United States and former president sitting there, they were not the eulogists. Andrea Mitchell, thanks for that. Still ahead tonight, teacher murdered. Her own students now charged with the killing and the chilling allegations they talked about the crime on social media. Plus, flooding threat. Seven million Americans under alert tonight as a king tide threatens the southeast. And a very special guest at the Braves World Series parade. The fan joining the team after saying their World Series run helped him power through a cancer battle. Stay with us. Top Story is just getting started. How's everyone doing? It's 4.39 p.m. Friday, November the 5th, 2021.
Southern Cali is cool. It's been cold most of the week. In the evenings. Better in the early afternoon. But it's starting to get cold everywhere. So we're no different. We have our cold season from now all the way, actually from October all the way up through March. We'll experience our colder days with a few surprise sunny days sprinkled in between. We were listening to News Now, NBC News Now.